Uh, greetings, you are watching the online ministry of St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Varel. Uh, this has been prepared for the 6th of June 2021. Our sentence of scripture today comes from Psalm 27, verse 1. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Let me pray. God of wisdom and love, source of all good, send your spirit to teach us your truth and guide our actions in your way of peace. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.
The Ministry of God's Word today, the Old Testament reading, comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 1 to 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 1 to 10. Please read that. Psalm 1 is our psalm for the day. And Romans chapter 6, verses 14 to 23 is our preaching passage. Please take a moment to pause uh, this video and to read through those passages of Scripture. Let me pray. Loving Father, we thank you that we can gather with our Bibles open. We pray that we would hear you speak to our hearts, to our minds, to our very souls, that we would see our need for Jesus, uh, that we, you would lead us in a way of repentance and faith, that you change our hearts, turn our lives around, that we would embrace Christ. We ask for your help in all this ultimately so that you would be glorified and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What is humanity's most treasured possession? Is it freedom? Does our culture love and cherish freedom? We love to be self-determining, self-sufficient and independent. Have a think about the United States Declaration of Independence. It's described as a charter of freedom. It says that all are equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Liberty, freedom, even happiness is a fundamental right according to Western politics. Even the Rolling Stones wrote an anthem to freedom. Maybe you know it. I'm free to do what I want any old time. That's the lyric. And so freedom is a precious thing. We treasure it. We will fight wars in the name of freedom. But are we free? Are we actually free? Are we free to do what we want any old time? Is Mick Jagger correct? Well, look at verse 15 of our passage today, Romans chapter 6. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. We've just been told in verse 14, For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law, you are under grace. This prompts verse 15's question. Do we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? To a Jew... The idea of being without the law, as verse 14 implies, is akin to lawlessness. And so for the Jew, Christians then are relegated to every other Gentile who don't keep the law. Christians are then relegated to every other Gentile sinner. They're deemed lawless. 
And that's not okay, according to the Jew. And so the question then must be, if we're not under the law, if that is true, are we free to sin? Am I free to do what I want any old time? Well, how does Paul respond? We know, by no means. It's emphatic. Look at verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So are you a slave or are you a slave? That's the question. No alternative to human living is being offered here. We are not free. We are slaves. A slave belongs to their master. A slave obeys their master. That's the picture. Gets you thinking about um, a Bob Dylan song. He sang a song and the lyrics go like this. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil. Or it may be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Romans chapter 6 tells us not that you have to or that you're going to have to. Romans chapter 6 tells us that you do. You do serve somebody. Now, if you're caught up with the slave analogy, look at verse 19. Paul says this is just an example from your everyday life because of your human limitations. That's nice. I think he's, he's just saying... I'm trying to make this easy for everybody. I'm trying to make this truth accessible. So here's a picture about slavery, okay? So let's keep going with this picture now that you've got over that. How many masters are there in Romans 6? Did you say two? You would be correct. Two masters, two ways to live. Notice, if there are two ways to live, there's no middle ground. There's no World War II Switzerland. No one is neutral. No one is not taking sides. There is nobody sitting on the fence. You either follow one master or the other. And who are the masters? Well, do you know them? Do you recognize them? The first one is mentioned five times. Verse 16, 17, 18, 20, 22. Slave to master sin. Look at verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, da, 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 you are slaves to sin? Or verse 17, uh, you used to be slaves to sin. Verse 18 is the same, and 19, uh, 20 and 20. Who's the other master? Who's the other one? Can you see it? Well, let's make it easy. Just drop down to, drop your eyes down to verse 22. But now you've been set free, you've become slaves to God. Um, so... Which slavery then is most recognizable to you? Slave to sin? Slave to God. Which one? Let's talk about the first master. 
Let's talk about slavery to master sin first. Verse 16 tells us the first thing about master sin is that slavery leads to what? Death. You are correct. What does this slavery look like in practice? Well, verse 19, it looks like impurity and ever-increasing wickedness. This is reminiscent of Romans chapters 1 to 3 here, where there is no unrighteous, not, not even one. It's just ever-increasing wickedness. It's just people who think they're free to do what they want any old time. They're actually bound up in the chains of sin. They're obeying their master sin. And the, the irony is, of course, that they're not free. They're not free in any sense of the word. The Rolling Stones are wrong. What a surprise. The Declaration of Independence. It's wrong. It's flawed. Tell me, how do people endowed with rights like life and liberty work if we are born in slavery to sin? We're born this way, shackled, bound by master sin. We're not free. See, the, the problem with the Declaration of Independence is the assumption is that you are your own master. Ironically, the, the same declaration talks about a creator. But then it ignores the creator and says, hey, you look, you're free, you're, and you're entitled to these things. Ah, well, if you are your own master, that, of course, makes everyone else your slave. Have a think about that. No. Romans 6 is very simple. It, there are only two masters. And surprise, you are not one of them. It's God or the other guy. Look at verse 20. When you are slaves to sin, you are free from the control of righteousness. If we are free from the control of righteousness, then the only master is the master of the control of sin. Right? And what is the payoff if it's master sin? Verse 21. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. You want to feel young again? Just read verse 21. It makes me feel like I'm a teenager being spoken to by my parents. But it's true. Let me read it again, just so you get the gravity. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Yeah. That's right. What benefit? Actually, the benefit is death. If sin is your master, was it worth it? What was the good of it? No good. In fact, bad. All bad. Verse 23a. The wages of sin is death. Tell me again the payoff. If master sin is your master, what's the payoff? It's death. What a lousy master. Slavery to master sin lands in death. It tells you three times in this text. Death. 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 Lousy reward. Where is the freedom in that? That is not freedom. There is no freedom when life ends in the prison of death. It's nonsensical. There is no freedom when we are alienated from God, whether that's in the present now or in the future. So, 
we've talked about master sin. Is this master sin the master that you obey? Why would you? Is this the master that you want to obey? Not a chance. No, it's not. Good. Because there's another master in these verses. Do you recognize this other master? Verse 16. Again, don't you know that you are slaves to the one you obey, whether it is sin that leads to uh -huh, death, we talked about that, or obedience that leads to righteousness. There's the alternative. Look at verse 17 while you think about obedience. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Wow. You've been set free from sin and you've become slaves to righteousness. Now, what does that look like in practice? This obedience stuff, this slaves to righteousness stuff. The end of verse 19 uh, encourages us to now offer ourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. Keeps talking about offering, offer yourselves, offer yourselves. It's, it's, I think that's worship language uh, being put out there. Uh, it echoes verse 13. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as to those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Here is what it looks like. Here is the Christian life of worship of God 24-7 with every part of your being. Where we offer ourselves as a, an act of spiritual worship, as, as a spiritual act of sacrifice, if you like, which we'll come to in chapter 12. Should be ringing bells with you. Here is the Christian person given in service and worship of God. Offering hands that serve God or minds that serve God or the mouth, tongue, lips that praise God and serve him. Hearts that beat for God. Pockets and thereabouts that honours God. Instruments not of wickedness but of righteousness. What else? Verse 22. But now that you've been set free, so you've been set free from sin, there's freedom. But then there's the correct, but you become slaves to God. Well, what is the benefit here? What's the payoff here? And the answer, of course, verse 22 tells you the benefit you reap leads to holiness, not death, holiness. Master sin, the benefit is shame and death. The ma this master, though, the benefit is holiness. Can you see the progression here? It's a bit harder to see this guy. See, look at verse 16. We kicked off with obedience. I threw that word out. And then in verse 17, it moves us from obedience to righteousness. Not only righteousness, but righteousness that leads to holiness, verse 19. And then holiness again in verse 22 that ends with the net result of eternal life. Obedience, righteousness, holiness, eternal, th eternal life. See the flow there. Here is a picture 
Not the devil at work in you. Here is a picture of Christ at work in you. It's a picture of God reshaping and transforming you to be more and more like Jesus. It is not a picture of sin, impurity, wickedness, death. No, it's obedience. It's righteousness. It's holiness. It's life eternal. These are the things that we have. And you say, but obedience, Adam. And I say, yeah, obedience to the gospel. Obedience to our Lord Jesus. And then you go, but righteousness, Adam. I go, yeah, this gift of a right standing by faith in Christ. That's how we're righteous. When we look to Jesus, when we look to the cross. When we say he died instead of me or holiness, holiness that's given to us, it's possessed by all who belong to God in Christ Jesus. And what is the result? It's eternal life. This is what we're called to be slaves to. It's all the work of God. Do you see that? Obedience to the gospel righteousness that we receive it as a gift, holiness that we possess as a people of God, eternal life. Now you can put all of this into a bundle and call it one thing. And the name that theologians give it is this word sanctification, which means to be made holy, to be holified. We need, this is what, this is what we need. This is what we are, but it's also what we need different of justification. We talked a lot about that word justification. Uh, justification means that we're right with God. It's boom, it's done. It's a done deal. End of chapter 3 tells us that. Justification, God declares us right. Um, justification by faith, however. Wherever there's justification, sanctification always comes along with it. Because sanctification... That's a big word, isn't it? Where we're seen to be growing in Christ and maturing in Christ. That is just public evidence that our faith is real. The faith that alone justifies is never alone, but always brings a holiness of life, sanctification, with it. It is a life lived with God as our master, the master who in Christ delivers freedom. And so this word sanctification is, it's the blossoming of the outworking of that right relationship that we have with God. Growing in Christ is a motto here at St. Augustine's in Varel. Growing in Christ, it's our motto. That's, that's a vision of sanctification. If we are people who stand in the, in the grace of God, before God, this is what it looks like. It looks like a life of holiness that publicly declares that God is our master. That as we look to Christ, we're all sweet. We're right with him. And if we're right with him, we'll look to be right with others. God has blessed us, so we go out and be a blessing to others. God has showered us with his grace. So we go and shower others with his grace. 
God has loved us selflessly and sacrificially. So we go out and love the way God first loved us. I grew up in Mount Druitt. Many of you might already know that. Uh, growing up in Mount Druitt, I remember a brother in our local church. I was a kid at the time. Uh, but he got himself a gift. What was the gift? He got himself a new Peugeot. Mm-hmm. Flash. Can you imagine? I still think about this new Peugeot in Mount Druitt. Uh, that's something. But anyway. Do you know what he did, for, did with his Peugeot for three months? Three months for 90 days. He didn't drive it. It stayed in the garage. 90 days. A brand new car. He never drove it. Tell me, when you get a new car, does is life change? The new smells, the new performance, the new sounds, the new tech. Good transforming changes. But not this car. This car stayed in the garage for 90 days. He didn't reap the rewards of this new change, this gift that he got himself. He, I mean, have a think about it. Imagine accepting the best gift there ever was. Now, I'm not talking toasters here. I'm not even talking dinner sets or a new car. Imagine whatever it is. It's the best gift ever. And then never, ever doing anything with it. Imagine locking it away in a cupboard with all those other gifts you never use. Or, or parking it in the corner of a lounge room for days, wondering if you're Family wondering if it's ever going to be opened and used and welcomed and appreciated. We've been there, haven't we? A gift never enjoyed or used, does it belie its value? It's to make it redundant. It never serves or fulfills its purpose. There's no joy in this gift. There's no experience. There's nothing. doesn't make sense. Brothers and sisters, the gift of grace that comes to us comes through the torment, blood, crucifixion of God's Son on a cross. It comes through nails driven into hands and a spear in his side. It comes through his death in our place. The cross is the most significant a life-changing event in history. Verses 5 to 7 tell us. We saw this a few weeks ago, that at the cross, you, your old self, was crucified. Sin was paid for. Forgiveness possible. Peace with God. Gift of grace. All of that. How bonkers it would be then to lock that away or think that you could lock it away in a garage or a cupboard like it never happened. Like you don't know what to do with it. Doesn't make sense. The Christian life is not the hidden life. It's not even a private life. It can't be. You're joined to Christ. He knows everything. Is God your master? Is God doing his sanctifying, transforming, life-changing work in you? If God is our master, have you said no to disobedience and yes to obedience that leads to righteousness, verse 16. If God is your master, verse 17, have you wholeheartedly 
embraced God's word, the gospel, that pattern of teaching to which you've been entrusted. Or verse 19, if God is your master, are you offering yourself, your bodies to God's service as an act of worship? We're worshipping God with our time or our talk or our treasure or our thoughts. Is God your master? Verse 22, does Christ rule your life? If we are right with God, here is an encouragement to live like we are right with God, not wrong with him. If Christ makes us holy, which he does, here is an encouragement to live like we are the, his holy people, not unholy. And so again, is Christ your master or is he not? Because here's the thing, it's either him or the other guy. If Christ is our master, we will follow his word. Verse 17, his word will become stitched into our hearts. A pattern of teaching, a pattern of gospel living, which holds our allegiance, which we become committed to and entrusted with. See that Christ is in the heart business, that he's come to change hearts. He does it by his spirit-inspired word. He shapes and grows us to be more like him. We grow in Christ. We are set free. We are set free to follow Christ as his servants. And you can't have life apart from him. So should I serve sin or should I serve uh God in Christ. Well, what do you reckon? You tell me. You want life or death? Choose the gospel. Choose Jesus. Choose life. And know the true freedom that comes from loving him and serving him. Amen.